This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this Wednesday edition, uh, January 4th. 2023 it still feels weird to say that but nonetheless we are in the new year uh eric is in a different year too he was a few weeks behind he said slack channel uh <laughs> got not gonna let that one slide for a while um uh, we're gonna talk recruiting on this podcast because there's been a couple developments for oregon um since We've last come on the show since we've last talked recruiting in general on the show. And that's with, first of all, the transfer of Tez Johnson, a wide receiver, Troy's best wide receiver this past season. He is also the adopted brother of Bo Nix. He has committed to the Oregon football program. And then there's also the addition of yet again, another defensive lineman from the prep ranks, uh, the 10th player, I believe, that can play D-line, defensive end, or edge, uh, Ashton Porter, four-star prospect from Cy Ranch High School in Cypress, Texas. We're going to start here with Ashton Porter. Um, Both you guys commented when we were kind of getting our pre-commitment. We had an idea this was happening yesterday. Um, our pre-commitment story is done. Both you guys were just like very excited about his potential at the edge position. Um, it sounds like that's where he made the biggest impact of the Under Armour game uh, and, and the week leading up to it in the practices. He was a standout there. Um, six foot three, 255 pounds. You pop on the tape. Eric, you, I'll toss it right to you. You did the film review. Feels like a guy that could make an impact right away in like a Kenny Rowe type freshman specialist role. There's certainly opportunity at edge, and that's where he told Brian Doan he's starting his career is at edge. He played basically with a hand down, as you said, at Cy Ranch last year as a defensive end. Um, also, as you said, 10 players now that they've recruited this cycle that are preps that are edge or defensive linemen. This is the fifth player that they distinguished as an edge on the go ducks official signing page so i mean that's a huge haul at that position a position by the way we talked about how many times about the value of finding <clears throat> players either in the portal players the prep ranks to address a position that was frankly not very strong this year that loses its best player in dj johnson and omay spoon had a really impressive holiday bowl and that's a, a really positive thing going into the offseason but certainly a position that you needed to address and I think, obviously, Mateo Uyunglele is the most likely to make an immediate contribution based upon his recruiting ranking. I think Blake Purchase is another really highly regarded player. But Ashton Porter, to me, is somebody that will be in the mix. I don't know if he'll start or when he'll make his contributions. But physically, at 6'3", 255, he's, he's got the body type and the build. Um, I think he's more explosive than maybe I'd expected going on tape. I think that was the thing that stood out the most was just the way he split double teams, You know, the, the kind of first step quickness he has. Showed a little bit of a bull rush. 
Um, I just think a guy who's really advanced as a passer. I think he had 15 sacks playing at a pretty high, at a pretty high uh, degree of level down in Texas. So I, I'm really high on this addition. I think this is a really nice fit. We knew, knew it had been coming for a while, but uh, you know, another part of this is this is the sixth player from the state of Texas they've landed, and the third that'll be playing either edge or defensive line. So they've really gone and addressed that position down in Texas, and I think that's an approach that Oregon has at times attempted in the past, but probably not with as much success as they've done this cycle. Um, we've talked about just the difficulties of finding the right body types out West, you know, aside from California, maybe some down in Salt Lake, maybe a couple from Washington. You just don't typically find maybe Arizona and Nevada or two other states, but you just don't typically find a lot of bigger body kind of defensive line players. And that's why historically the SEC and some of uh, maybe not too many of the Big 12 programs, but Oklahoma and Texas and some of those programs have had a lot of success is because of what they've been able to do on the lines. And or I think Oregon making a concerted effort to hit Texas hard at defensive line was, you know, we'll see how it pays off. But I, I like the effort, at least, of kind of changing up from a geographical perspective of where you, you focus your attention in the trenches. So I think for a lot of reasons, this is a really nice addition um, and somebody that, you know, just getting a glimpse of him on tape kind of stood out and I think they I mean all five by the way edge guys in this class I know we maybe get to this in a moment like I don't want to say that they could all contribute but I really like all of their tapes like I, I've seen Tatum mm -hmm. Tuioti before in person I think he's a really talented player um, I've already mentioned the other three now and and then Jaden Moore was a guy who I remember when I watched him and it's been a little bit of time since I watched his tape but I remember when I watched it right before he committed that I was super impressed with just his athleticism and his upside so um, we'll see you know, both in the short and the long term, this class at the edge position, how much it pays off. But I think you have to be really encouraged by the efforts that have been made by Tosh Lupoy and, and his staff there. Absolutely have to be encouraged by it. The getting as many defensive linemen into the program as you can, narrated by Dan Lanning, that's his thing. He's been doing, he did that at Georgia during his couple of years as a, as a uh, his two years as a defensive coordinator. Um, he's stocked up on that defensive line. You look at their national championship season, um, you had Trayvon Walker, who goes number one overall, Jordan Davis. And then off the bench, you have Jalen Carter, who's going to be a top three pick. Yeah. And then Nolan, Nolan Smith was this size of an edge rusher, that six foot three person who can drop back into coverage. Um, yeah. I really like Ashton Porter's tape. I did the get to know him um, on his on his huddle film. He has his season statistics, which are quite absurd. He, is, he had 62 tackles, 24 tackles for loss, and 15 sacks in his senior season at that uh, that. I forgot the high school at this point. That's as a not defensive Cypress. lineman. That's not yeah. a linebacker. Those are like linebacker numbers. Yeah, no. And and the thing is, like Eric was mentioning, he most of his high school tape was him in the dirt. Um, but you can tell just by watching videos from this past week at the Under Armour All-American game and occasional videos in the in the huddle film or on YouTube, whatever, wherever you want to find it. He has the athleticism to, to potentially drop back into coverage, which has been an overwhelming theme about all of these edge guys is that while they are, they, they usually post these great numbers in high school or they can get after the quarterback from the edge. Um, they all have the ability to athletically drop back into coverage, which I think was severely lacking this season with Oregon. Um, you look at Mace Funa, who had a good holiday bowl. Uh, you look at DJ Johnson, who had a good season overall. Um, both of those guys weren't, weren't the best in coverage. Um, Mace Funa, I know, did have his interception against Washington State. But outside of that, those guys could be constantly picked on. And I think what Dan is Dan and Tosh are trying to do is, once again, 
you'll hear this from, from, from us a dozen more times before the season begins next season. Um, they're trying to get their guys in here. And yeah. these seem more like guys that fit into the Dan Lanning profile. Um, just to do a little bit more about Porter, um, it seems that he was one of the defensive linemen this week who really had their had their stock boosted, um, along with Jordan Hicks and uh, Clemson's top defensive lineman, whose name I can't remember. Um, Andrew Ivins had a very nice scouting report on him. Really, really, um, really was 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 nice to read just because of you know you don't necessarily know how how well these guys are going to do at these All American games, um, but it seemed like he was one of the the, the quickest defensive linemen. Um, a 4.840, which is impressive, and then the 7.3 cone drill, yeah. which would have Bill Belichick salivating because that's all all he cares about is how quickly can a defensive lineman move side to side. Um, and it, so I just think that th I talked about this in our Slack channel where it seemed like this Ashton Porter commitment has gotten more buzz nationally than some of the other defensive line commitments or some of the other commitments in this 2023 class. Um, and I think that it, it, it could be justified. Um, just like you guys, I think he could be an impact guy day one for next season, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody who really makes an impact in his second or third year realistically. Um, just think he needs to add weight and get a little stronger, just like every basically every freshman in the country needs to. Um, last thing, I think not only is it Dan Lanning's philosophy to go after and get a bunch of defensive linemen to set, set, the, uh, set the interior and win that edge, but I think the transfer portal edge cycle or the defensive line cycle just kind of stinks. And Dan Lanning yeah. and Tosh Lupoy knows it. And they're like, all right, well, we're, I don't think that we're going to get a really big impact guy in the portal that's set us up for many years of future success down the road. So and I think that this is kind of be a philosophical thing for each class. I'm wondering, I'll, we'll try to pay attention next season. Like, let's say Oregon goes really hard in on linebackers and brings in six of them which they might need to do anyways, but let's say they bring in six of them. Is that a sign that maybe the transfer portal linebacker core isn't that great? Um, I think it's just something that's worth it, worth noting. And I think that's just what my brain has been coming up with, with defensive linemen. That's a good point that the transfer portal, it might not be as loaded as anticipated. Um, and you look at the guys in that transfer portal that are, edge or defensive lineman all the top guys right now are committed to other schools like mm -hmm. the school like the highest rated guy that's left is the 11th best defensive lineman or edge player and he's a d-line prospect uh david sears um from texas state he's uncommitted every other guy ahead of him is committed and then the next best available player is his teammate uh at the 14th spot and he's a three star so you know, three-star transfers aren't a bad thing, but just you look at the availability and there's not a lot of them. And, you know, Braden Swinson is a top 25 transfer in this list. He's committed to LSU and he played at Oregon couldn't, and couldn't get on the field. Mm -hmm. And and so that kind of dictates maybe – that's a good point by Jared that maybe they're just saying, hey, let's go high school. Let's sign 10 guys. And let's expect that three or four of these dudes play as true freshmen. The rest probably redshirt in 2023. And three or four of those redshirt guys are probably out of the program in two or three years as transfers to other schools because they're just the cream rose to the top and they're just not going to play here. 
that, that's probably a, a, a realistic scenario that plays out. Um, I, but to be honest with you guys, I kind of think more than three or four guys are going to play as true freshmen. They're not going to start. Um, I, I just look at – obviously, Mateo is going to have a chance to start. He'll have probably the best chance to play the most snaps. But Amari Washington, Blake Purchase, Terrence Green, Ashton Porter. Uh, I, I even think Tuioti is going to be a dude that could maybe get on the field early in some kind of role. They're all probably going to be specialized roles. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone – I don't, I don't look at anyone maybe beyond Mateo, maybe Amari Washington, and, and say they have a really good chance of starting. I don't even think I think those guys have a very good chance of starting because yeah. um, I think the Mace is back. So he's probably your edge unless one of the, unless Mateo's just straight up better, which is an outcome that's possible. But the other two, you know, Funa has been here for a while and paid his dues. And I mean, I think ultimately they'll play the better player. So if it pr- proves that Mateo is ready to start, he'll, I think he'll get an opportunity. Um, we still don't have total clarity on some of the defensive line guys. Like, it yeah. seems like everybody's indicating Dorless is coming back, but he hasn't said that. Same thing with Casey Rogers. Those guys both started. If both those players are gone, then, yeah, one of these true freshmen has a pretty good chance of, of getting an opportunity. Um, if one or both those guys are back, I think it's kind of far-fetched to think that a freshman will, will jump either of them. But I do agree that from a depth perspective, you're going to need contributions from this group. Um you know, especially at the edge position where, gosh, you've got Mace back and then you've basically got Jake Shipley's your second most experienced edge player. And you could convince me he's a player who might end up in the portal sooner than later just based upon the needs Oregon has um, <clears throat> from a scholarship perspective to get under the 85. So, no, there, there's, there's very few proven things at edge. And Oregon, I think, notably went out and now signed five. We haven't actually said it. Ashton Porter has signed. Um, he committed, but this, he had signed in December, one of those deals where you, the kid wants to announce that one of these all American bowls, totally cool, get their spotlight moment, but is already, you know, locked in their spot with a signature before. So he has already sent his LOI in. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're going out here going, okay, let's get as many bites at the apple. You've got five guys you've recruited to play edge five guys that are recruited to play defensive linemen. And as Matt said, I think if you get two maybe three of these edge guys are ready to contribute in some capacity year one that's a huge win and to me porter is in that group of guys who could compete to play right away um but frankly i think all of the players that they've signed in the edge class are physically impressive enough where i could look at it and i wouldn't be stunned if they're contributors in some capacity sooner than later i think it's a really strong position group i think it's it's really strong in the last two weeks just because of two, three weeks, just because of Mateo's commitment and signing, this commitment and signing, and then uh, Oregon holding on to Blake Purchase at the end, which I think was a um, an under undervalued storyline of, of Colorado's late run at Blake Purchase, just because of what the Deion Sanders factor can do. Um, but those three guys right there, uh, those, those guys are, are have tape that I just really like, and they or the edge is obviously a position of need. We went through the, the statistics yesterday in our Slack channel about how poor Oregon's pass rush was this past season. I think it's the lowest sack total of Matt since 1986. Is that what you said? Yeah, 1986 when they had, I believe, 10 sacks. And for reference, they had 16 sacks this season. So 18. 18 18 with the ball, yep. 
18 with the bowl and DJ Johnson had six of them. And I think Brandon Dorless had three and a half of them. And those guys are both, one of them is for sure gone and DJ Johnson and Brandon Dorless might leave as well. So you have a lot of production to uh, replicate, albeit not a great amount of production overall as a team. Um, but these guys help to that. And for uh, as much, as much as I really enjoy the Ashton Porter signing and commitment, I'm, I'm really interested in what Blake Burches can do. He's my number one guy in this edge position um, with Mateo. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just, from what I watched on Blake Burgess's tape, I just like his ability to, to both rush the passer and drop back into coverage. He, he plays, he has the size and, uh, and the speed of somebody like a linebacker, but even at his age, he's super strong. He played at, at, at a decent high school in Colorado. He racked up just, absolutely absurd absurd stats and i think that he's going to put himself in contention i don't think either of these guys any of the freshmen will potentially start um just because we know how difficult that is i mean even if you look at Kayvon thibodeau he didn't start till the sixth or seventh game in the season after um after an injury to gus cumberland like that's my, that might might be what it takes for one of these guys to start just because of mace funo coming back um but I, I really like Blake Purchase. I think he's he's the guy. Um, his senior season, I just quickly looked up the stats. This is after he blew up. Uh, 57 total tackles, 12 tackles for loss, 18 sacks. His junior season was 83 tackles, 18 tackles for loss, 12 sacks. This guy is just a pass rusher. He's a He can drop back into coverage. I just remember uh, doing the get to know the signee of Blake Purchase. And just saying that this is a Dan Lanning defense guy. This is a Tosh Lupoy defense guy. Someone who can rush the pass and drop back into coverage. So that's my person to watch out for. Uh, one final note before we move on. Johnny Bowens, a four-star D-line Another, commit for yeah. Oregon. Mm-hmm. He got added to the All-American Bowl today. And sounds like looking at Cooper Patania of, of 24-7 Sports and some other people that are covering the All-American Bowl, he's been very impressive right away um hasn't lost a rep during one-on-one drills so don't want to make too much of that but hey he another guy another defensive lineman in an all-star game for the oregon ducks uh let's transition to the other addition that's tez johnson um from troy in alabama a five foot ten 150 pound receiver you look at that and say that's probably a walk-on but then you see his production and you go, oh, wow, he is certainly not a walk-on. He's tiny, yes, but highly productive. 56 catches, 863 yards, four touchdowns this season. Was Troy's best wide receiver this year. In his career, he brings with him a three-year career, uh, 141 total catches, 1,809 yards, eight total touchdowns. He instantly becomes the most productive receiver on Oregon's roster. Um, maybe Chris Hudson, let me look this up real quick, but maybe Chris Hudson has more, more yards and production. No, his, Chris, Chris, Chris is, is about, about a thousand. Yeah. It's less yeah. than Troy Franklin. Yep. That's right. So you're adding a player that a is experienced. He's played, uh, in a lot of football games in three seasons for Troy. He's been highly productive and he's going to probably compete with Chris Hudson for playing time. Yeah, this is going to be really interesting in the offseason to see the Hudson versus Tez Johnson battle. Because I think a lot of people see 
the Bonix adopted brother. I don't want to say the word nepotism gets thrown around, but you're kind of wondering, like, okay, are they adding him to just appease Bo and bring some family close to him? Was this part of the pack package, if you will, to get Bo to stick around, is to get his brother on scholarship and get him out here? And that might be part of the – that might have been part of the, the – I don't want to say the deal because that sounds like they're composing this with that, you know, some sort of unwritten part here. But that might have been part of an agreement maybe. But if that's the case, it's a win-win because this guy is really productive. And I don't think we've said it so far. I think some of those listening are aware, though. This was Pro Football Focus's second highest graded wide receiver in 2022, only behind Marvin Harrison Jr. of Ohio State. And if you watch the college football playoff semifinal, you saw how productive that player can be. And gosh, if not to go down too much of a tangent, if he doesn't get knocked out of that game, there's a chance the national championship uh, matchup is a little bit different next week. So, uh, you know, really, really highly regarded, productive player in Tez Johnson, now set to try to win some reps, maybe win the starting job over Chris Hudson, who has now had two years to kind of prove himself in the slot. I would say pretty mixed results. There's been some some big highs with Chris. There's also been some kind of disappointing moments too, whether it be drop passes, whether it be an inability to stay up, um, whether it be some kind of weird celebration penalties that have drawn frustration from both his last two head coaches. Um so, no, I, I'll be really curious there with how that position kind of plays out. And, you know, they do have an open Z spot. The X spot is this position, the outside position that Troy Franklin will play. I don't think anybody anticipates that's really up for competition. Um, and so you maybe you get to a situation where if Tez or Chris Hudson are clearly the best slot, but they're the third best receiver. One of them plays a little bit of Z, but both those body types are weird for that position, which is typically, you know, you think back to the players who played that here recently. Last year, it was Chase Coda and Dante Thornton. Those are 6'3", 6'4", athletic, bigger body type players. That fits the mold of Treshawn Holden, who played that at Alabama. So you kind of think going through this position, uh, you just kind of the hierarchy that it's going to be probably Franklin at X, Holden the Alabama transfer at Z and then the slot is a Tez Johnson, Chris Hudson competition. And I wouldn't be surprised in the least if that ends up being a Tez Johnson victory. Of course, we're way far away from that. And I don't want to um, diminish Chris Hudson's talents and capabilities, but Tez is super explosive on tape. You know, I know, I know both these players are, are, are very athletic for being a little bit undersized, but I think as Matt said, you hear 5'10", 150, and you think walk-on, or you think somebody who, gosh, you can't, that won't translate. I expect that a lot of this stuff will, just based upon his athletic intangibles, his explosiveness, his quickness, his change of direction. All of it stands out when you go watch his highlights. And, you know, the other thing you have to question is, okay, you're talking about translation, translating skills from the FCS level to the top, you know, one of the bigger Power 5 conferences. How's that going to play out? Um, I think the fact that he'd be playing with his uh, older brother probably doesn't hurt in terms of just getting comfortable and, you know, in, in the right places. And if those two have the right chemistry, as you might expect brothers would have or people that have spent a lot of time together would have, I just don't see how this is a negative thing, even if hypothetically Hudson wins the job and Tez is just like your, your fourth receiver, your second, second slot receiver. It's still, I think, a really nice addition for a team that offensively, I think we all feel really good about where they're headed. But I just think the fact that you feel that way and you use a scholarship on a guy, I think that speaks to what Oregon thinks they could be getting out of this addition. I really like the pickup. 
and if it's some some sort of nepotism with Nix and his adopted brother, so be it. I'm down. I'm okay with it because Tez Johnson is actually good. It's similar to to Oregon bringing on Jonathan Flo with Justin Flo. You just it's another scholarship spot. You just kind of live with it. Um, but Tez Johnson, I think, will actually see the playing field and be very productive for the Oregon Ducks. Um, this is a guy. I, I was going to say, Jared, jo- jo- comparing Tez Johnson to Jonathan Flo is is uh, that's a kind. I don't know. That's sort of brutal. <laughs> one guy was worthy, and one guy clearly was not. I mean, not to yes. negative. <laughs> I hate to say it, but yeah, agreed. Yes, but the nepotism thing. This could this could run in similar lines to that. Um, but to to go on Tez Johnson, I'm going to start with his uh, his frame, his his rail thinness. I guess 5'10", 150. Um, I think it's being a little bit overblown. Um, I just think I, I talked to you guys about this. I've talked to other people about this. Um, it reminds me of the Devonta Smith stuff. And I'm not comparing Tez Johnson to Devonta Smith in terms of production because no, but that's a guy who is six feet, one, 160, 170 at Alabama. Um, everybody worried about his frame. Everybody worried about how he's going to get hit and that how he's going to break in half one day. Um, and it just never happened. And you kind of look at Tez Johnson, who for his entire career, including his high school ball with, with Bo Nix, he was somebody who was talked about for his size and his weight and how he was going to get crushed and he was going to get hit and, hit and broken in half. That hasn't happened. Um, he's played two straight full seasons uh, in 2021 and 2022, including bowl games. Um, and this past season, including the conference championship game, um, he hasn't been hurt significantly in his career. Uh, you know, every football player gets dinged up, like Dan Lanning would say. But this is a guy who just keeps powering on. And at one point, when it's multiple years at this point at college and it's multiple years in high school, I get that they're real thin. He might just be okay. He might just be somebody who's good at football, and it's okay that he's real thin, even though it's against the norm that we normally have for wide receivers who play his position. All that being said, um, I think this is a great pickup for Oregon. I think they needed slot depth. I think they needed somebody who um, could challenge Chris Hudson. I'm not necessarily sure if they've had anybody in the past. We all kind of thought that that would be Seven McGee heading into the season. That never transpired. Um, I don't. I think that these guys are two completely different. Um, or Seven McGee and Tez Johnson are two completely different players. One is clearly a converted running back, and one is clearly a starting wide receiver. Um, Johnson was extremely productive during his time at Troy. Um, he. You know, 56 catches this past season, 863 yards. Uh, the season before, 67 for 735. Um, you know, that's over 1,500 yards in two seasons as one of as Troy's leading leading wide receiver. I just think that this is a great addition. And I think in the one season that Bo and Tez were able to play together, um, I think Tez went off. I think he had like 1,100 yards in the high school season, which is impressive. But uh, overall, I just I just really like this addition for Oregon. I think they needed wide receiver depth. We've talked about it before on this podcast. They've gotten it. Um, I think they might need to continue to add, but at this point, it's all about you know, who, who leaves the program as well. I think Tez Johnson and Chris Hudson can can play together. I think obviously one of them wouldn't start, um, but I also think Hudson has shown the ability to play on the outside a little bit which could be a way to get both guys on the field at the same time. Um, I I do acknowledge that Hudson has had his his drop issues or maybe his he falls over you know too often a little bit. And like Eric mentioned, he's had a couple penalty celebrations. Um, but I'm still high on, on Chris Hudson. I, I think he can be a really good 
number three receiver for a, a really good football program. You know, obviously, Troy Franklin is your number one. This past season, uh, Chase Cota was kind of your number two, and then Hudson was your three. If, if Hudson's your third best receiver, I think that's a really good unit, productive unit. So I, I think Hudson and Johnson can play together. I think you look at Franklin's return um, and then the addition of Treshawn Holden, uh, Alabama transfer, along with the addition of Jurion Dickey, a five-star, and probably also Ashton Cozart, a four-star receiver mm-hmm. as well. I, I think that kind of group right now feels like your nucleus at, at receiver. Can Kyle Casper get in there? Can he make a name for himself? Um, he was someone that was highly regarded but showed up a year early um, and got in the, a couple games this season. But, you know, he was a little thinner than I anticipated. We'll see what he can do. Uh, there's still Isaiah Bravard on this team. And then, you know, like Jared said, maybe they continue to hit the portal to add other players. I, I'm not sure if there's a specific skill set they're looking for. Maybe, maybe an over-the-top guy, but that should be what Tez Johnson is. Well, just a couple of thoughts here. Uh, I, I see this addition as you're probably thinning the herd a little bit at receiver now. Not to, And again, I hate that we have to talk about in these terms, but I, I imagine you're now more open to seeing some players enter the portal at this position and maybe a couple of the players you've mentioned enter it. Like, and again, I, I'll just say, like Isaiah Bravard has played like zero snaps of value here. This is, would be his third season. I know that feels yep. quick, but maybe that's a player that you look at Moving on from Isaiah Crocker and Caleb Chapman are veteran guys that just didn't play last year for whatever reason that are on scholarship. You need open scholarships. Those players make some sense. Josh Delgado's biggest contributions come on special teams as a return guy. If you, if you really value his punt return skills, then maybe you hold on to him, but he certainly hasn't contributed too much at receiver. So those are just some guys that are older, that have been around a little bit, that haven't really shown their ability to contribute. So you kind of wonder... Um, and then I had two PFF things I was going to mention before we get off the receiver topic. The first was that I was looking through the um, the PFF season grades yesterday, and I was struck by how good this unit did at not dropping the football. Uh, I don't have it compared to the national average, but if you remove other positions like running back and tight end from it, I believe Oregon receivers dropped eight passes all season, which is a fantastic stat. Like Chris... Uh, Troy Franklin had two drops on 83 targets. Like that's very impressive. Um, so that part stood out for me. From hey, this was a team a year ago that you know helped the quarterback a lot more than you've seen in other instances. Where, gosh, remember Justin Herbert had all sorts of drop issues. I think that was in, in 18. Even even last yeah. year there was a little bit of that. So th- those are that was a thing that stood out. Looking at it just from a broader sense, and then to the. Tez versus Chris Hudson thing. I, I did this about four days ago, right after Tez committed. So I apologize for not having the exact data. But like, if you look at the depth of target between Tez and Chris, who again are, are expected to play similar positions, Tez has, and maybe this is, could also be very much the offense at Troy versus the offense at Oregon. But a lot of Tez's targets came on intermediate or deep routes, so passes that are you know ten to you know plus up yards upfield. Whereas I think it was over 80% of Chris Hudson's targets were at the line of scrimmage to nine yards. So a lot of screen passes, a lot of underneath stuff. 
quick routes for Chris Hudson, whereas Tez Johnson, at least, uh, and again, that might be a byproduct of the offense at Troy more than anything else, but he proved a, a, a better threat in terms of uh, catching passes further downfield. So that's another thing to kind of monitor here is if, if that's a difference in skill set and in strength, maybe you find a way to, to maximize and utilize both those guys in, in different ways. So, uh, But again, I think they can, as Matt said, coexist together but probably not be on the field together all that much because now you're really undersized, especially in, in potential blocking situations. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they try to fit those guys in the same on the field at the same time, unless they go like five wide or something, just because uh, it's not it's probably not preferred for how well we'll see how well Stein runs his offense. But in, in years past of how much Oregon likes to run the ball, it's probably not preferred to have two five ten under 180 pound guys out there. But um, I, I think it'll be good competition. I think that's what this team needs. I think it's what every football team needs is good competition. Um, Hudson certainly has his values to this team. Tez certainly adds his as well. Um, I think that these are two guys who are just going to compete. Um, and I think uh, Dan and, and Will Stein are going to figure out who's best come you know, spring and into fall ball. Um, we'll see if they add any more. We'll see what the, what the wide receiver room looks like uh, in the next couple of weeks as the transfer portal period winds down and ends on January 18th. Well, just quickly, guys, do, do we think Chris mm. Hudson could be a guy who ends up in the portal? I mean, I think anybody can end up in the portal. So, Yeah. I, I think this addition opens that door. Um, I mean, like you said, like it's a straight challenge to him. You know, He's been here four years. Chris Hudson has. Um, he's... This is his third year. He's a third-year sophomore, excuse me. Um, didn't really do much in 2021 until the very end of the season um, when they started airing it out a little bit. Had two touchdowns, 31 catches, 419 yards. This past season was a more of a regular. Um, 44 catches, 473 yards, no touchdowns. And again, like got off to a slow start, but became more consistent um, towards – the third or fourth, fifth week of the season. But, I mean, he had just two catches for 10 yards against North Carolina, one catch for 11 yards against Oregon State. I don't know what his target numbers were like. I know in the Oregon State game he dropped that that pass. That could have been a touchdown um, down the right side of the field. But he had some big moments. But I, I also look at him and say, like, yeah, maybe, like, hey, look, he's entering his fourth year. He hasn't really had, like, a dominant season, a, a he was a big-time profile recruit, high-profile recruit. Uh, they just added a player that's a college veteran, same age as him, that plays his exact position. Like, yeah, like I wouldn't – if I was Chris Hudson, I wouldn't be all that ecstatic about the addition of Tez Johnson. Like that's like a straight challenge to me of I need to get better. Now, maybe Chris Hudson also is like into the competition angle of this and – likes Oregon so much that he, he's not going to get turned off by it. It's going to be more of a motivator. Maybe that was part of the, the addition. I, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I could see him saying, like, you know what? Like, fourth year, I'm going to go somewhere else and play. I think it, I think it's worth monitoring. I, I, not, no, I think we're not reporting anything, obviously, on that. No. But just speculating, it would make sense. And, again, as I said, and I, and I hate that we have to keep talking about this, but Oregon has probably almost a couple too many scholarship receivers right now and moving on from, I'd say, at minimum two 
up to four that are currently on the roster probably makes more sense than it doesn't to me at least. There's, I can think of at least probably three or four other guys on the team at the, at that position that if you gave Oregon true serum that they would probably be like, we would rather this guy leave than Chris Hudson. I, and, that, and that's 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think Oregon wants Chris Hudson to leave. I think they would be very disappointed in the outcome if that's what what happened. All right, yeah. let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll we'll jump back with the scholarship count, like Eric just kind of touched on, uh, and then we'll also look at maybe some areas, some names that could make sense for Oregon to add moving forward. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. Uh, talking recruiting. With the addition of Tez Johnson, with the addition uh, of Ashton Porter, um, I need to actually add Ashton Porter into this, but I do know the number. It's 92 scholarship players. Um, that Oregon has projected to be on its roster ahead of the 2023 football season. Um, that is 85 is the limit. Mm-hmm. That That's a lot of players. Um, yeah. So essentially they're at a point now, guys, where for every player they add – to its recruiting class, whether it's transfer portal or a high school or a JUCO guy, they almost have to see two guys leave. Um, They've got three quarterbacks committed. They've got five guys on roster at running back, 12 guys at receiver, four tight ends, 15 offensive linemen, 17 defensive linemen, eight edge players, six linebackers, 12 cornerbacks, seven safeties, and three special teams players uh, on this roster. 41 of its 92 projected players are also freshmen or redshirt freshmen. That's a lot of guys. It's a lot of young guys, too. And this is probably, though, again, not probably, this is what Dan Lanning 
needed to do by putting his fingerprints on this program by if there's a redshirt freshman or true freshman, these are guys he recruited, like point blank. These are guys that are Dan's guys, and it's clear that he wants a roster full of them. And I would be surprised if there are, you know, we need to get, you need to get under 92, sorry, you need to get under 85 at 92. Of the seven players they lose, it's probably going to be closer to eight more, nine more, ten more, because I think Oregon's going to continue to add. Um, they're in on some players. We'll get to that in a moment. I, I would be surprised if very many of those players come from that 41 true freshman, redshirt freshman group. I, I anticipate you're going to see mostly players a little older than that, players that have proven or yet to prove maybe that they have a role on this team going forward or what that role might be. So, um, and that's a big number to get under, guys. Like 92, and I understand you've got a significant number of months to do this. You have to get to, you have to, get to 85 by by August, September, that kind, you know, in that range, by the time you, you start the season, you can't have more, you're breaking rules and everything goes to, you know, it's, it's, it's everything goes to haywire or whatever. So you, you've got to get there. And I'm going to be very curious to see kind of how this comes together, reading through the, the, the math that Matt just did there. And maybe you can do the quick math for me, for me, Matt, of what percentage of players are offense to defense to special teams. You said three specialists, but it sounded like there were significantly more players, especially in the front seven. Like I think, like what twenty-five of the teams, ninety-two are in the front seven. You're muted, Matt. Sorry. Twenty-five players, defensive line or edge. Seventeen D linemen, eight edge players. Thirty-nine players are on the offensive side of the football. So. 42, so 50 players are on defense. Um, when you factor in 39 offense, three special teams guys, yeah. that gives you a 52. They have 92 players currently projected to be on the roster. 50 players are on that defensive side of the football, and half of those are up front. So that's why it just kind of gets weird because we're talking about how we want them to make more additions, maybe on at edge or defensive line, but you – like inside linebacker in particular is actually a spot where I think you said there were six. Like, I think that's a place to add. That's like, a place. Yeah. But it's just weird. Cause then you're running through it going like, but they're carrying so many damn front seven players to begin with now. Like it's, it's like you run through that. That's like almost a third of your, more than a third of your scholarship obligations are defensive line edge inside linebacker right now. And so while we know those are positions to rework and, and, and to hopefully improve upon, there's not a lot of space to add there unless you're losing a significant number of guys. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how this all plays out. Um, I'm very, very curious to see what this process looks like, how immediate some of these players depart. I think it's been interesting, guys, that we're now about a week removed from the bowl game and there haven't mm -hmm. been any further transfer additions um, or, or transfer departures, I should say, from the team. That nobody has left. Um, I wonder if this is a situation where Dan is telling everybody, hey, guys, stick around. I want to get through spring with you, and then we can have some more honest decisions. I wonder if there are guys that have already maybe put their names in that just haven't been announced by the, you know, haven't been announced in terms of entering the portal. But it is an odd situation because I thought we were going to get a small wave now of at least two to four or five players that were going to enter the portal. And then, of course, you expect there to be significant numbers that leave around spring practice, after spring practice, during spring practice. But um, just kind of an odd situation right now where you're stuck at that, that stalemate and Oregon is continuing to add. And we know Oregon will continue to add because they're in on some big-time prospects in the portal and uh, from a freshman perspective. 
and yet they still have to get rid of at least seven players. At least seven players, which it's is gonna wild. Be, but it's going to be more. It's going to be more. It has to be more. It's going to be more. Yeah, because Oregon, despite having 92 scholarships like Matt went through, and despite having a recruiting class, when you include transfers, that sits at 34 players. Um, they're still in on a lot of guys. And quick thing, I wouldn't be surprised if there are players who have entered their name or have begun the paperwork to enter their name into the transfer portal, but the University of Oregon has not uh, done the necessary paperwork because the school doesn't start until January 9th. And that's not saying that nobody is working behind the scenes, but you know that'd be the, that'd be the first official day that the school is back open and working. So I wouldn't be surprised if there are some that happen immediately after. But I do think it's it's um, it's surprising that yeah we're a week away from the bowl game and uh, there hasn't been any new additions or subtractions through the transfer portal from the University of Oregon. Um, I, I was saying on this podcast for for probably weeks that there's going to be a post bowl uh, yeah. wave of players and there has been there have been some names that have jumped into the portal um, from other, from opposing schools, but really there's been absolutely nothing from Oregon. Um, I think Dan, like you guys have been saying, I think Dan probably carries whatever the number is by the end of January 18th into spring ball and then goes from there and then says, all right, we have to get rid of 36 players or something like that because we just we just never stopped adding. It so won't be 36. Have, it won't we be now 36. have 100 and, 118 <laughs> players in the, in, on our team. But, um, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think they're just going to keep adding and then eventually – I mean, it's it's a tough subject to talk about because I think Dan is just going to add a position of need, and he is going to say, "Look, whoever it is, we have added at your position because we think that we can get something, someone better." And that player is either going to make the the decision to enter the transfer portal or not. But I think Dan's going to make it an easy decision for that player to enter the portal because there's going to be potentially somebody who is just better than that player and who is going to get more playing time. And the other guy is just going to ride the bench, um, which is unfortunate that that's how college football works, but it's kind of how everything else in life works, where if somebody is much better than you, that company, that department, whatever it is, is probably going to take that person to, to better their business. Um, and I think that this is now clearly uh, college football is now clearly working like a business now. So, I mean, that's just how it's going to go into the spring. One interesting fact is not only Eric, do they have 41 red shirt or true freshmen? They have nine sophomores. Yeah, it's crazy. On its roster. Ty Thompson, Jordan James, Isaiah Bravard, Josh Carnley Jr., Keanu Williams, uh, Mikhail Afisi, Jahil Florence, Kamari Terrell, and Darren Barkins. And guys, it wouldn't surprise me if, more than one of those guys transfers at the end of the year or, you know, before football starts, like that's possible. So that number could get even smaller. Um, We should know that. By the way, Matt, sorry. That's going to be a mess in three years when it's a two person outgoing senior class. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, just like thinking down the line, that's so wild. I hadn't looked at senior day festivities are going to be nothing. There's just one guy running out. Hey guys. Yeah. I remember me. I'm the senior. I'm the only senior. (laughs) We're also like I think we mentioned it a couple times. There are some players who theoretically could just choose not to come back next season. Brandon Dorless, uh, Casey Rogers, both those guys haven't made their indications yet. I'm pretty sure Popo has been approved, but we haven't officially heard that yet. 
Um, Mace Funa did say he's coming back, so you can cross him off that list. Um, seniors Steve Stevens, Brian Addison, Jamal Hill, all three guys that um, we haven't asked Stevens or Addison. Hill was noncommittal about what they would do. Uh, all of them have an extra year of eligibility. Um, all of two, Stevens and Addison would be going into their sixth year of college football. Hill would be playing his fifth. Um, what do they do? Uh, Cam McCormick officially hasn't said he's coming back yet, but he does have two years of eligibility if he wants. But I mean, that right there, like if I don't think all of those guys would go pro or would, would, would transfer or would leave the program, retire, whatever. Um, but if they all did, which is highly unlikely, that would take a good chunk of, of the guys that need to get off this roster off and open up, you know, avenues for more players but it, it's going to be interesting to but, see go ahead well but those are at positions where they have a scarcity to begin with i mean they only have four yeah. tight ends and seven safeties so if they lose those four guys you've got three four safeties and three tight ends i mean that's where the that's where the math is so wonky sorry to cut you off but it's like the math is wonky where you've got a glut of certain players at certain positions but the positions where you could lose guys organically are positions where you don't really have the ability to do so so i don't know sorry i cut you off i was just having you go through that going like yeah but they probably don't want all those guys or many of those guys to leave because they don't have many players at those positions right now yeah i some of those departures would would hurt oregon they're kind of it feels like banking on them um coming back or being kind of the guy for that position group um let's transition now to maybe who makes sense to continue or what makes sense to continue what position groups make sense to add we've touched on receiver a little bit we've touched on a, an edge rush but there really isn't a viable option there um i think you could justify finding when you just look at the scholarship numbers and the makeup of guys like another defensive lineman they are involved in uh his name is escaping me i'm trying to find it it's from he's from kentucky um He's actually entered the transfer portal. Uh, I'm trying to find it, see if I can find it really quickly. Probably not. It's too late. Uh, I'll find that name here in a little bit. But one name that did enter the portal today, of all of all days, uh, that would, I think, help would be Bennett Williams' younger brother, Evan Williams, from Fresno State. All Mountain West defensive back two years in a row. Uh I think he's the leading tackler in 2021, maybe was close to it in 2022. Um, might be worth looking into. A one-year player doesn't really mess up your depth, your long-term depth at Oregon. Safety's a position that is there, they they were not elite consistently at that group. And maybe you maybe this is a guy that could make sense for that. I think that's maybe the, for me the biggest area beyond the end and receivers safety help. Yeah, I know. Justin oh. Rogers is the kid from Kentucky. Yes. It was reported by Steve Wiltbong that, that Oregon was interested in, and so were a bunch of other schools. No surprise. Yes. Very productive player at Kentucky. Yeah, I, I continue to think you've got less offensive players than defensive players, but you feel a lot better about the offensive players you have than the defensive players you have. So the numbers are going to be really weird, I think with the way this plays out, I, I still think an inside linebacker to me is probably tops on my list. Uh, you lose Noah Sewell, who 
Grizzlies' productive season, kind of a disappointing end to his career, to be honest with you. Not that he didn't play well at times. I think he played one of his better games against Utah. He was awesome in that game. Had a huge part in them winning that game. Had a really good game against Washington State. There are a couple other games where he played and made some nice plays. Kind of a disappointing final kind of hurrah there. But he was by far your best inside linebacker. Um, you know, and I, you know, you bring back Jeffrey Bassa. I've said my piece on the on the podcast. I like him in certain situations. There are other situations he's just not equipped to play the position, in my opinion. Um, PFF had him at the end of the season. Now, with all the Pac-12 teams being having played all their games, I was looking at PFF and kind of where the where Oregon's players stacked up from a conference perspective of defensive starters. Jeffrey Bassa, according to PFF, was the fifth worst defensive player in the entire conference. PFF thinks he's bad. PFF thinks he's very bad. Um, I think he's, I probably think a little more highly of Jeffrey Abasa than PFF does. I'm sure Dan does. Who thinks PFF is run by a bunch of what do you, what do you say people in their parents' basements? Uh, Keyboard some, something, yeah. something about that. He had a great line. Um, so maybe maybe we, maybe we're overusing that service, but I don't think anybody's going to argue he was great this year. So I think you need to add another player there. Justin Jacobs, the Iowa transfer, I think comes in and probably has I think has a really good chance to start right away. Uh, I thought Keith Brown was was very solid in the bowl. He played basically every snap next to Bassa at inside linebacker. That's a player who certainly is in contention. But as we said earlier, only six inside linebackers on scholarship right now. That's a position I think you can add. Um, safety would be another position to maybe consider adding, but you'd need to probably have one or two of the guys you mentioned earlier from that Stevens, Addison, and Hill group not return um, to, to just to make the numbers work. Or you have to play like Damon David, who's – Tried to transfer once before, ended up coming back, didn't end up finding a role this year. Um, I'm surprised he's not in the portal already, to be honest, based upon his history and what his role was. I mean, I imagine when they brought him back, it was with the you know stipulation, hey, you're going to have a chance to play for and, and earn a role, and then he just didn't. So uh, it would make sense for him to look around, especially if these other older players are going to be here, which maybe they're not, and that's what he's banking on. But um, safety would make some sense. Um, and then offensively, I just still think if if, if Cam McCormick is going to return, you're at four, probably that's okay. But I'd still like to add another tight end. And I think it's notable right now that um, Oregon's in on two the two best prep remaining tight ends out there or players that could play that position. And Nichols Harbor, who's visiting Oregon, what, the, the, the final weekend? 27th of, of January. Yeah, yeah. F- final weekend of January. That's a five-star recruit. If you haven't gone looked at that guy's athletic tools, Freaky, like I don't know, some of the craziest, Freak. some of the He's an Olympic athlete. Yeah, and the guy ran a ten three in a hundred meters at six five, two hundred and thirty pounds. So, uh, yeah, that guy can move. He's still on Oregon's board, and then Deuce Robinson. I think Oregon is also still active with. Those are both tight end prospects at the next level, slash maybe big receivers, kind of combo athletes. Um, but boy, I think you could add one of those two guys that would really help the, the tight end position, which I think is already pretty strong with Ferguson back with with what I think was a really impressive close to McCormick if he chooses to come back. Uh, I thought Patrick Herbert had some nice moments. Like I think that position is fine if you don't make an addition, but if you if there's a if there's a place to add on offense, it's it's to me right there because I think you've done plenty at quarterback, running back, receiver, and offensive line. Um, I think tight end's the only spot to me offensively that I would be like, okay, that makes some sense to go find somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you with tight end. I might throw receiver in there just for another depth guy, kind of like a Caleb Chapman where um, it's, it's like a low, very low risk, potential high reward guy, you know, like if 
that's what, what, what we talked about with Chapman last year. Like, hey, if this guy could stay healthy, he's got elite speed, he's got elite size, maybe he could be something. He didn't stay healthy this past year. He just didn't play that the only, often. Um, the only thing I'd push back on that, Jared, is that it, the, the risk is you don't really have scholarships to give right now for a guy who's no sure thing. So, you know, I think you have to be, right. very, very, you have to be very selective to find a receiver that makes sense to me. But with how with how the staff is giving out scholarships, I don't think they worry about that. I mean, they gave out a they, they have the scholarship to Luke Dunn or Luke Dune, who I can't find any physical evidence on the internet that he's kicked a football before and not an Australian <laughs> football, an actual United States of America football here. So I don't know. We're just going to put our blind trust in that. So I'm going to put my blind trust in Dan just randomly handing out a, a scholarship to a wide receiver. Um, I Fair. think defensively, like like Eric mentioned, linebacker has to be a position where they had somebody. Um, <clears throat> without Boss played it, I know that PFF rates him very poorly. Um, I too would rate him not great, just because of of what my eyes can see in the football field. Um, there are just moments where he he just lacks linebacker strength. Um, obviously, pass coverage was an issue this entire season, not just with Bossa, with Sewell, with Flo, with whoever was playing linebacker that game. I liked what I saw from Keith Brown. That was one game. It's hard to push all your chips in. Um, I was excited to see Devin Jackson play. He didn't. So clearly there's a development level there that just he hasn't reached. And Michael Roth played. Instead of him, you still have Harrison Tagger, who is a high, highly rated recruit or a high enough rated recruit. Um, but I still think you need to add depth there. I think you need to add somebody who has starting experience, who has a lot of game experience. Um, defensive line, one guy that steps, that stands out who recently entered the transfer portal is, is Anthony Lucas. Tony Lucas, a Texas A&M transfer. Yeah, that's another I, one. He was, uh, he was, I don't remember if he was officially a five-star. He was. He was like borderline. The top, the top two, four, seven has him five-star. The composite had him 59th overall in the country. Regardless, um, very talented player coming out of high school, played sparingly for the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, he hits the transfer portal as part of that uh, historic 2022 class that I think has seen six or seven guys transfer, so not that historic. Um They'll. I, I think Oregon should should definitely take a shot at him. I again, this is a player that maybe Oregon doesn't need because, as we just went through, all of their scholarships are used on defensive linemen. Um, but again, you look at after the season. What did we talk about so much? Uh, is how terrible the defense was at points during the year. So, if Oregon uses. 70 of their 85 scholarships and just has four backup offensive linemen and tells everybody else to go play every snap. You might take that just because of who they have on offense is really good. You have really good wide receivers. You have really good running backs. You have a really good offensive lineman. And then Bo Nix comes back on top of it all. So I don't think they need, they clearly need depth. I've been on this podcast before that depth is always a concern for me. They need the depth at offense, but when your number one guys are real number one guys and you probably cannot find a better like if you were to go in the transfer portal, you're probably not going to find a better quarterback than Bo Nix in this offense. You're probably not going to find a better wide receiver. There are probably offensive linemen that you won't find um, that are better than some guys on the roster. But defense, you can make upgrades. And Anthony Lucas theoretically would be an upgrade. I don't know if he would be an instant impact upgrade just because he didn't play that much at Texas A&M. But linebacker, there's there there potentially will be an instant upgrade on linebacker in the portal. Safeties, a potential instant upgrade like Evan Williams, like Matt mentioned. Um, I just think that they're going to continue to look for instant impact guys on defense because that's where they have the more likely opportunity of finding one. 
offense is going to be hard. They had to get, you know, a Johnny Cornelius, who is the second or number one ranked offensive lineman in the transfer portal. Um, Angelau was up there as well before he committed. Like those are the impact guys that they're looking for because that's what they need. They need the best transfer guys in the country to come in um, at on offense. But defense, there's going there's just loads of opportunities for them to find uh, upgrades at those positional groups. The crux of the issue, as I see it, and you guys might disagree, is that the positions you have the most depth at, especially defensively, are the positions that you probably feel the worst about. And yet yeah. you need to add more players, but you already have almost too many players. So that's why, like, again, I'm not reporting it, but it, there are some guys that are defensive line edge players that probably you need to find ways to move off of if you're going to continue to recruit defensive line and edge players because you can't, to me, really in good faith, say we're going to remove three more receivers and one more offensive lineman and another, let's, I don't know, safety from the roster to add four more front seven guys. Like, it, 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 the, the math doesn't work scholarship-wise, and it really doesn't work when you look at the breakdown from a position group. So it's kind of a weird spot. Like, I would imagine there are going to be a, several players in the front seven that are currently on this roster. Not several, probably more than that. Probably half a dozen that have to be moved on from, from this class or else you're going to carry like 50% of your roster at like three positions on defense. And it was, a, and these are positions that weren't strengths last year anyway. So I, it's, it, they're kind of in a weird spot. Now, I'm not even being negative here. Cause I really no, like it's the, not negative. the high end town on the roster, but I'm just saying you, you, it's sort of an odd roster makeup right now with just with the way everything is, is composed. Yeah. And I, it's gonna be interesting. go ahead. I was just going to say like, it's a weird makeup, but it's the right makeup. They need to get a lot of depth. They need to get a lot of potential mm -hmm. talent at these positions. And it all starts with the defensive front because of like we talked about earlier in this podcast, just how bad the defensive line was last season at getting to the quarterback. Um, right. They were good against the rush, except against Oregon State. But they, they just couldn't get to the quarterback. And, you know, against Washington State or Colorado, when they actually got to the quarterback, it was like, wow, look at – look at this, man, this is, this is amazing what they can do. And then you go against Washington where they just have no defensive pressure. And then you have to rely on your ability to blitz um, and have Noah Sewell or Jeffrey Bossa come through the middle. And while that can work sometimes, it just leaves the entire middle, middle of the field wide open. And I don't think that um, with how little penetration the defensive line got, I don't think that blitzing Bossa and Sewell uh, just created enough pressure in general because the offensive linemen didn't have to worry about anybody but Brandon Dorless and every once in a while Casey Rogers um, just breaking down that wall. So I think just adding as many defensive linemen as you can to see if a couple of them stick is going to be huge just because you lose your – potentially if you lose Dorless, you lose your two best production uh, – from a production standpoint, your two best defensive linemen. And you just need to replace that somehow. And if it's just adding pure numbers and keeping everybody, um, keeping everybody healthy and keeping a lot of guys fresh and just constantly reloading that defensive front like Dan did at Georgia, so be it. I, it's just got to be the way. We'll end it with this this discussion point here. If they do add players, would you rather they go and find like instant impact, one year stopgap, Chase Coda type guys? where you know, hey, they, they may be the best player at that position, but they're only going to be here for a year. 
Or would you rather go and find guys um, like a Lucas and Anthony Lucas who didn't play much, if at all, in 2022 as a true freshman? And you're thinking long-term addition. He may not even make a big impact in 2023. He's just so talented. You want the best players possible long-term. I, I, I think I go, you want the stop gaps. You, you want Coda based off how this roster is built. Go find guys that you feel like at most they're going to be here two seasons. Um, and more likely they're only going to be here for one year to kind of help rebalance this class, this roster class. Because like Eric said a while ago, in a couple of years, that sophomore class with nine players, it's going to be weird. Uh, and you can't have a roster that's so heavenly leaned on basically two, two years your freshman class and your junior class. Um, right now, 67 of the 92 players are going to be soft are going to be juniors or freshmen or redshirt freshmen on your roster next season. Um, you need to balance things out a little bit. So I would lean, go find stop gaps one year, maybe two, maybe two year players. Well, the point of having all these freshmen is that they have time to develop and putting players that are, long-term impediments to that kind of is counterintuitive. Like I'm not saying you wouldn't take a really highly regarded player who can come in and play right away. Of course you would. But like, if it's a choice between players that are fairly equal, I mean, I know it sounds weird to say it, but I'd almost rather have the guy who's not going to eat up long-term scholarships so that you give yourself time to develop. If you're going to recruit 35 freshmen in a class, which it seems like Oregon, right. and I'm not, it's not going to quite get there, but if you're going to recruit 30, freshman in a class, which I think is not likely to get to. I think they're at 28. Um, or is it 29 if we include Don? I can't recall. Is it 28? You've got to give yourself time to develop these players because that's clearly a huge part of what Dan Lanning wants to do is, is to develop a lot of young guys. And if half your roster are freshmen, you better have some veteran experience. So I, mean, I just think almost from a maturity kind of team chemistry makeup too you'd love to go find not that you can go add players that are veterans just to be good locker room people but that will at some point be a value of finding players with that if you're going to carry a roster that's half that are you know basically half the players are teenagers still like there is a value of having the older players around the team aside from just the contributions so um, obviously you have to be a perfect world to find the right kind of players that fit from a culture perspective, but also a um, can, can contribute on the field perspective. But I do think it's, it's a tough balance, but I, I'm probably with you, Matt, where, gosh, if you had a choice between somebody who has the same, you know, that has four years of eligibility that's clogging your numbers up where you already have a ton of guys, clogging is probably not the right word, but that, that is taking a long-term, uh, you know, that their clock is going to impact you long-term. I think you'd rather have some, some stop gap guys who are able to contribute and be, be kind of one-year players. I think, uh, I think this is an easy answer. It's the one-year players because you can get all your four-year, five-year guys in whatever recruiting class you go to. Um, and if a player, unless it's like a coaching change or something like that, if they're transferring after one year of, of college football, I'd, maybe they made a bad decision. But um, it's not the best sign, I would say. But you, I think you look at what the transfer portal is and what it was originally made for is the ease of transferring for somebody who's like a graduate transfer or somebody who's like finally graduated and they want to go look for uh, a potential another opportunity or a third year guy. I don't think it was necessarily made for 
players who were in the who were in the class of 2022 who are now looking to get out of the school that they were at. Um, I, I, it's but it's a good thing because they are now able to get out of the school that they were at. But I, I, ultimately, I, this is an easy answer to me because I'm okay with Oregon's roster being divided like that between juniors and redshirt and or redshirt freshmen and freshmen, just because most of those freshmen aren't going to see the field, and that's okay because they're depth players at the very least. Because your juniors and your seniors and your six-year seniors are all the guys who are starting, are all the first and second stringers. So, and obviously. Uh, that big thing if you get injured uh, your third stringer is a freshman but hopefully your recruiting class is to that level where if your third string is a freshman that's okay because they are a highly touted freshman they you know you you handpick these guys to come to this university so that's okay by your books and I think that's what Oregon is trying to do now um, I think looking for stop gaps these one-year guys to fill a hole until one guy can be further evaluated and developed and all that stuff is how college football should work. I think that's how I would run a team. If I were a head coach, I try to just get stopgap players and, you know, work, uh, work fervently on um, trying to get my guys developed so that they can play the next season. Because again, like I said earlier in the podcast, having a true freshman play and having a true freshman start, those are, those are hard things, especially on defense. Um, and I think Oregon's main, stopgap positions are going to be on defense. So maybe your third or fourth string guy is a true freshman, but you have a six-year senior or fifth-year senior from the transfer portal who stopgaps that that initial uh, starting position and holds that down for an entire year until one of those redshirt or freshmen get, get ready and are able to come in for the next year. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, how this all makes sense. And we're less than a month away now until the second signing day uh, for the 2023 recruiting class, which, by the way, they haven't announced that they being Oregon, uh, any of their transfer additions. So nothing. there's nothing to worry about that, but that's probably when I imagine we'll, we'll get Dan Lanning's comments from that time uh, on those players and any others that they add between now and then. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays all, all it all plays out. Uh, follow DuckTerritory.com for more coverage of that. Go to DuckTerritory.com for more discussion on the Oregon football program and more. And until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.